Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. So very excited about today's sermon. We are taking a step away from our series and doing a topical study today. And uh, it is a special sermon we do every single year, something we reflect on because it is a huge moment in church history. Uh, can I say happy election week? It is election week and it just so happens uh, to be landing on all of this going on in our church. We will talk about church history today. Next week we'll be meeting in person. But uh, actually, also, happy Halloween, right? I uh, hope you guys had a good time. Uh, maybe a hallelujah night. I don't know what you did. But uh, can I say one more happy, happy Reformation Sunday. Yes, this Sunday, this week, 503 years ago, the Reformation of the church took place. This is the 503rd year celebration of the Reformation of the church. Like, what is that anyways? We're going to talk about it today, and I'm really looking forward to diving together with you. The title of the sermon today is The Counterfeit Church. The Counterfeit Church, if you are taking notes. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 1 in our Bibles. You can start to turn there as well. We'll read through verses 1 through 10. I want to talk about counterfeit for just a moment, just to get everybody's mind there. Counterfeit money is a problem in the U.S. today. And the only way to combat it is to train people in handling the real stuff. So again, what you would do is you would take a banker and you would have them handle real money over and over and over and over and over again. And as they become familiar with the real thing, the moment that a fake comes through, they can feel it by texture. They can see it with their eyes. There's all kinds of ways to identify the counterfeit. But the only way they can get them to identify the counterfeit, again, is by handling the real thing all the time. The same is true with the counterfeit church, the counterfeit preacher, the counterfeit religion. We, when we handle God's word over and over and over and over, so much so, we understand and know the scriptures, we know what God is saying in his word, we know the scriptures, we are then able to detect when a counterfeit comes along. It's like, wait a minute, that's not in the Bible. Where did you get that? That sounds clever. That sounds familiar. God helps those who help themselves. Wait, what? That's Bible. Um, where? Scripture verse, please. It doesn't say that. We make up all kinds of clever little sayings and we say somewhere in the Bible, I think it's, you know, first Benaniah chapter 10. You know, it's like Benaniah is not even a Bible, you know, book. So what are you talking about? It's not even in the Bible. But this is a problem in the Church of America today. People don't know their Bible. So you can feed them whatever you want. You can work them over. The world today doesn't understand the word of God. They claim to be Christians, many, but they don't understand God's word. One of the greatest counterfeits of Christianity was happening 500 years ago, and a lot of it is still happening today. It was a time when the Roman Catholic Church was posing as the only true Christian church. But when you look at their teachings and how they were taking advantage of people using Christ and the Bible for power, we see that they were and still are a counterfeit church. What? The Catholic Church today? Yes. A counterfeit church. 
Counterfeit, the word is this, the definition, made an exact imitation of something valuable or important with the intention to, to deceive or defraud. Now, before we dive into this, I want to be sensitive to those raised in the culture of the Catholic Church. I know there are very loving, genuine people in the church today, and I do believe uh, some in the church who may and well, may very well be true believers who actually love the Lord Jesus, like Martin Luther. He was in the Catholic Church. He became a monk in there, and he was a true believer, and it dawned on him one day, something is not right. But there may be true believers in the congregation or amongst some churches in the Catholic Church, but amongst the hierarchy, amongst the leadership, they have no excuse. They know the teachings. They know the doctrine. They know what they are doing. They know people are being taken advantage of. And it's not okay to turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to it. They will stand before God for these things. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Have you ever been to Vatican City? I have. I've been in there. And I've been in there twice. And it is absolutely, maybe three times now I think about it, crazy. It is bizarre. What is in there? You know, you, you go into a museum here in LA and you see like one of those marble head statues. You know, you're just like, oh my gosh, that thing's got to be worth like, you know, $50 million. It's, it's ancient. It's, it's, it's the, the head of Caesar, whoever, and there's only one of them in the whole world. They have like 20,000 of those things just sitting in this hall. Like you turn this corridor hall and the walls are lined with them, just like heads everywhere. And you're just like, where did you get all this stuff? They ransacked and pillaged civilization after civilization. The Vatican City is probably the richest uh, city in the entire world. There is no price tag on what they have. One of the smallest territories in the world and, and the most priceless place in the world. Why is there world hunger and why is there people without water in the world when they got all that stuff just sitting there. The walls are literally lined with gold and marble. It is insane the power and influence that they have and how political they are. Yet they, they, they hide secretly behind the scenes and no one calls them out on anything. When the Pope does something great, the whole world kind of applauds at a distance. Let's talk about it today. What do you say? You're going to go after the Pope and the Catholic Church? Not me. Not me. God's Word does. I don't have to do anything. I just preach this thing and it takes care of it all. Come on a journey with me today. Let's talk some church history together. What do you say? We're in Galatians chapter 1 in our Bibles. We're going to read verses 1 to 10, and uh, you can stand for the reading of God's Word if you so desire. We always stand for the reading of God's Word to remember whose Word we are reading, not man's words, though written by man, inspired by God, which has stood the test of time and proven itself time and time again. We honor the Lord in the reading of His Word. Galatians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes, verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6, he says, I am astonished. 
that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word spoken to the Apostle Paul. And as he is speaking boldly about your gospel, we ask, Lord, that we would be anchored in your gospel once again, and that we would understand it very clearly, and that we would be able to understand it so clearly that when a counterfeit comes along, we'd say, no, something is wrong here. Holy Spirit, guide us in truth. Lord, teach us your word. Help us to understand it. Sharpen our minds and our hearts. We want to know the truth because we know the truth will set us free. Lord, we stand against the evil powers of this world trying to counterfeit your church and trying to destroy your word, what you have said. Satan tried to do this in the Garden of Eden, distort your word to Adam and Eve. Say differently what you said to them, and people are still doing it today. We ask, Lord, that we would have clarity in your word once again today. We are fallible men and women. We need you to show us your word clearly. You have given us minds and hearts to discern our God-given reason, our God-given logic, and I pray that we would use what you have given us by your Holy Spirit to understand your word clearly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Galatia, the Galatians. If he was writing to the church in Studio City, you would maybe call us the Studio Cityans. I don't know, the Studians. I don't know what he would call us, but um, people of Galatia, the church of Galatia, He says, I'm kind of concerned because you guys are allowing another gospel to come in and be preached. He says, I'm astonished, verse 6, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace, turning to a different gospel. Turning to a different gospel. Yes, what is the gospel? It's very simple. It's very clear all the way through God's word. The narrative of the gospel is from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. It is the big picture story and message. Then we get close-up pictures of the breakdown of the gospel, uh, the different parts of the gospel really clarified throughout the Bible, primarily the New Testament. We see the apostles in the epistles go after bringing clarification to the gospel over and over. The gospel is this, that Man and woman were made to be with God, God being their king and and God and Lord and master and judge, and that they were to walk in his ways. And he gave him his word and his command in the Garden of Eden, and they broke those commands. And when they did so, they broke the relationship with God. And God said that they would surely die if they disobeyed him. And they now have been infected with sin because they broke God's commands. That sin separated us, the human race, from God being in relationship with them. 
What has happened now is men and women have been running around the earth for thousands of years living in sin in desperate need to be saved from their sin by Almighty God. So the Lord says, I'm not going to leave my people in their sin. The Lord Jesus Christ is then sent by God the Father down to the earth on a rescue mission to die for the sins of his people and to save them from their sin. Then Christ declares that anyone who would believe on what he has done will be forgiven of their sin and brought into relationship with God. Simply by believing so much that we turn away from running from God and turn to him with all of our lives. When we turn to him with all of our lives, we automatically make him Lord and Savior over our lives, saving us from the sin that broke the relationship and making him Lord, saying, I'm no longer following any other Lord on the earth. The Lord God, the Lord Jesus is my Lord, Master and King. And we are brought back into relationship with the God who made us. Simply believing this message right here is what we call the gospel message. The word gospel is just the word good news. By simply believing on the Lord Jesus, we can be brought, and the work that he did, we can be brought into relationship with the God who made us. I know, Pastor Josh, why do you keep saying that? Because people distort this message all over the place. They say, you have to do this to come into relationship with God. You have to do this many Hail Marys. You have to do this many First Communions. You have to do... This and this and this and this and this, and then you can become a Christian. You have to live a good life. You have to be baptized. You have to do this. You have to do that. Wait a minute. That sounds like another gospel. There is nothing that you need to do other than believing on the Lord Jesus Christ with your whole life. And that alone saves a person. Believing so much that I stop believing this way and I start believing this way. It's called repentance. We're changing our direction of belief and making him Lord and Savior. And that moment alone is enough to save a person. That sounds way too good to be true. I know. It's crazy. God's grace. Jesus has done that work for us. And Paul says, Galatia, Church of Galatia, Galatians, I'm astonished that you are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, he says, verse 7, but there are some who, tr who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even if we, Paul says, even if I do this, or if anybody else does this, and then even says, even if an angel from heaven shows up to you in a dream, or in a, in a magical, mystical, spiritual world, and preaches another gospel to you, other than the one that we have preached in the New Testament, he says, let them be accursed. Jesus preached this gospel, the apostles preached this gospel, and the prophets preached this gospel. We see it in the Old Testament as well. By faith, by faith, it says Abraham believed God. Abraham is Old Testament. The first church father believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness by simply believing God at his word, not doing anything else. So it doesn't matter who it is adding to this message or trying to get you to do all kinds of other things to have salvation with God. I'm sorry, that is not the gospel. Let that person be accursed. And then Paul says, and I'm going to offend some of you for doing that. Verse 10, for now, now am I seeking the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please people, he says, I would not be a servant of the Lord Jesus. 
So like, I'm sorry, this is what I have to do. On Halloween, this week, October 31st, 503 years ago, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation of the church took place. And we celebrated again 503 years yesterday, October 31st. Church history is important. Did you know that? History lesson. I uh, didn't do very good in history. It's okay. Don't worry. We got some animation. I, don't, I hope I'm not that boring. Hopefully, just stay with me here. Come on. Church history is important. History is important. Most of the time, we think of boring dates and places and names. But why is remembering the Holocaust or genocides or wars or freedom of slavery important? It's because it reminds us of where we have come from and it reminds us of where we are never to go again. Most Christians' understanding of church history, we say, tell me a little bit about church history. They're like, well, you know, Billy Graham, you know, did a bunch of things, you know, a bunch of crusades. No, no. Tell me about church history. Well, I am like the last hundred years. No, no. 2,000 years, 2,000 years. Do you know Jesus and the Holy Spirit has been moving in churches for 2,000 years? Think about all the church plants over 2,000 years. Think about all the preachers and pastors. Think about all the men and women who have gone to those churches, all the families, all the kids. Think about all the people who have died to carry the gospel to this place in history so that we can have the Bible in English. So that every household in America can have a Bible. No problem. This was not, this was not something that just happened. This only happened because many people gave their lives for it. And we need to remember. If you'd like a good book on church history, kind of give you a full set and perspective, you can go uh, look up 2,000 Years of Christ's Power. It's by Nicholas Needham. And there are four volumes that break down every segment of 2,000 years of church history. Today we look at the Reformation. Again, 500 years ago, October 31st in 1517, when a man by the name of Martin Luther started a revolt against the Catholic Church and their teachings. And many believe that Luther didn't have any idea of what he was starting. It's like a single match being lit to start a giant forest fire. He had no impact that, that, that it would have on the world today. Um, just as many don't understand the flick of a cigarette into a forest, how it can end up burning down tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of acres and people's homes and all of the rest. The impact of the Reformation has gone worldwide, and I'd love for you to see that now. We're going to play a little video for you that kind of explains Martin Luther's story and a little bit of church history, little, uh, a little extra for you. Check it out. 500 years ago, on October 31, 1517, a German Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther posted some complaints he had about the Catholic Church on a church door in Wittenberg, Germany. Luther was upset by the church practice of selling what were known as indulgences to wealthy patrons. Indulgences might be loosely described as get-out-of-hell-free cards— Pay this amount to the church, and the church would make sure you don't suffer unduly for your sins in the hereafter. Luther felt very strongly that the practice not only made the church look bad in the eyes of the common people, but had no scriptural basis. He believed the church needed to reform itself or would lose its legitimacy. 
Nobody, including Luther, thought that his complaints, and he had made a list of 95 of them, would amount to much. He simply wanted to spark a discussion on an issue that deeply concerned him. Instead, he set off a chain reaction that literally changed the course of history. The name we give to this change is the Protestant Reformation. Had Luther limited his criticism of the church to indulgences, as his friend, the Dutch scholar Erasmus, urged him to do, the matter might have been resolved and the old order preserved. But the headstrong Luther was not someone to be restrained. Luther was what we would call today a flawed individual. He was brilliant and charismatic, but he was also vindictive and stubborn to a fault, and at the end of his life, sadly, anti-Semitic. Luther believed there should be no separation between the Bible and the believer. Every individual should have access to the Word of God, Luther contended, as any priest did, or even the Pope. We take this view for granted now, but in the 16th century it was a radical concept. And here's why. For more than a thousand years, the Church had been the dominant religious and political authority in Europe. It alone taught Christians how to understand the Bible. Luther was now challenging the very basis of this authority. Not surprisingly, the Church didn't take it well. What began as a squabble between a bold monk and the Catholic hierarchy soon developed into a titanic and bloody struggle that split Europe into opposing religious factions— but the consequences of Luther's ideas extended far beyond a religious dispute. It's not an exaggeration to say that as a result of Luther's ideas, the modern individual was born, a free actor, endowed with God-given rights that exist independent of government or any other institution. Each person could find those rights by reading and interpreting the Bible for himself. Of course, to do that, you had to be able to read the Bible— and throughout the first millennium right up until Luther's day, only a very few people could. Books, including the Bible, were all handwritten, a process usually that took months. This made books rare and expensive. Furthermore, most Bibles were written in Latin, the language of the church, a language familiar only to the clergy and educated elite. This exclusivity was one of the many ways in which the church maintained its power. Luther answered this problem by translating the Bible into everyday German so that anyone could read it. But his efforts would all have been for naught except for the recent invention of the printing press by a fellow German, Johannes Gutenberg. The printing press allowed for the first time in history books and soon thereafter pamphlets and newspapers to be widely distributed. Without the printing press, Luther would have likely suffered the same grim fate of other reformers before him like Jan Hus who was tried, convicted of heresy, and burned at the stake. But because of the printing press, Luther's movement could not be stopped, and indeed could not be controlled. Bloody religious wars between Catholic and Protestant forces quickly followed on the heels of Luther's new ideas. They lasted for 200 years and cost countless lives— the Thirty Years' War alone from 1618 to 1648 is reputed to have led to about 8 million deaths from fighting, famine, and disease. But out of all this carnage, many positive changes came too. The Protestant empowerment of the individual led to capitalism and the Enlightenment, just to name two byproducts of Luther's protest— the American Revolution, with its idea that individuals endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights should be free to form their own government, was another. 
Of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, all but one was a Protestant. Pronouncing a verdict on an epoch as significant as the Reformation is very difficult. Perhaps it's best not even to try. But we can say this. No other single figure made more of an impact on the modern world than the German monk, Martin Luther. And even he would be surprised to know that. I'm Stephen Cornelius of Wartburg Theological Seminary for Prager University. Wasn't that video great? I uh, love the way they put that together, and I thought it was really well done and gives us a really comprehensive look at uh, Martin Luther, where the church was at 500 years ago, where Catholicism was at, and how that bleeds into American history, where we're at today. It's very important for us to know and understand this family. Luther, Martin Luther, proposed, the, the German monk, proposed an academic discussion of the practice of indulgences in his 95 Thesis in 1517 to the Catholic Church. He wanted to debate it and talk about it like good monks and priests do, but they didn't want to talk. They wanted him to renounce all of it. When Luther arrived in Worms as a part of a triumphal procession, uh, the emperor and the church officials expected him to recant his 95 Theses. And so there he is standing in front of the leadership of the church, Luther, his books are there, and he had written all these things against the church, and they placed everything that he had said on this table. And he was then asked if they, if these were his works and whether or not he wanted to recant any of the information. And Luther says, uh, just give me a day, I'll come back the next day and I will answer you. And uh, a little recap of exactly what happened to fill in some of those blanks is, again, he, uh, the church was charging people money for salvation. You want to go to heaven when you die? You, 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 want, to, you want to be good with God? You want to be reconciled to him? Well, I know the Bible says that you got to believe in stuff, but I want to tell you, there's something else that'll get you to the front of the line in heaven. You want to know what you got to do? Just pay a little money. Come on, just pay a little money. Just slip a 20 over here, slip a 100 over here. Some of you slip a 1,000 over here. And here you go. Here is your certificate into heaven. The church would write a certificate and, and let them get to heaven. This is crazy. Where does it say that in the Bible? It doesn't. Luther starts to write out 95 things that he sees wrong with the church. His writings start to spread around town like wildfire. And before you know it, they are everywhere bleeding into the church and there's debates breaking out everywhere the catholic church is of course ticked and so they bring him in and say here's all your writings recant what you've done and what you have said and he comes back before them the next day after a sleepless night of prayer and seeking god he comes back and stands before the leadership of the catholic church and says this unless i am convicted by scripture and plain reason I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. He drops a truth bomb on them like they could never imagine. He says, show me scripture and verse and I will change my mind. And if you can't, I will not recant and I will not pull back. 
He refused to renounce all of his writings at the demand of Pope Leo X in 1520. And in 1521, before the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, this resulted in his excommunication by Pope and condemnation as an outlaw by the emperor. He was considered an outlaw because the Catholic Church was the government. They had all kinds of fingers in government and they were able to consider him wanted in an outlaw and he would be in prison and killed for this and so he had to retreat and hide away. What was Luther teaching? Let me tell you. This is what was so offensive to the Catholic Church. Are you ready? And still offensive today. Luther taught that salvation and eternal life are not earned by good deeds, but are received only as the free gift of God's grace through the believer's faith in Jesus Christ as Redeemer from sin. Salvation is not by works, but faith alone. By simply believing, we can have salvation. That was offensive. That, that was enough to get him wanted. A wanted man. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 say it very clearly. Pope, how did you miss this verse? For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. His theology also challenged the authority and office of the Pope by teaching that the Bible is the only source of divinely revealed knowledge from God and opposed the office of priest by considering all baptized Christians to be a holy priesthood. He's like, no, no. The Catholic Church is like, these are the only ones who are priests. They're the guys standing up here in the robes. Don't you get it? Martin Luther is like, what? The Bible says that all Christians are priests and we are part of the priesthood, not the guys in the robes. He challenged the priesthood saying, you are not the priests of the earth. All believers in Jesus Christ are priests. Guess who said that? Peter, the apostle Peter, who the Catholic Church says was the first pope. He under, Peter undermined their teaching. Though Peter never said that he was the first pope, they said that as well. And he never moved in that authority as the pope. They made that up. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter said to the church, to the Christians of that day, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Anyone who has been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus is a priest or priestess. Congratulations. You're a priest. What? Me? Really? Today? Yes. Pull your Pope hat out and put it on at home. It's a great outfit for Halloween. Uh, you can be a priest, but it's actually biblically true as well. That's what's amazing. He was condemned for that. It says it in the Bible. Luther also challenged the Catholic claim of apostolic succession. This doctrine says that the line of Roman Catholic popes extends through the centuries all the way from the Apostle Peter to the current Pope today. This unbroken chain of authority makes the Roman Catholic Church the only true church and gives the Pope preeminence over all churches everywhere at all times. This is false. We know the Pope and the Popes of the past are not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church, not a single man on the earth called the Pope. Peter was not the first Pope or a Pope ever. The Bible never teaches that. No. 
Luther also taught against Roman Catholics belief in apostolic succession and the infallibility of the Pope when speaking ex cathedra. Catholics place church teachings and tradition on a level equal to scripture itself. This is one of the major differences between Roman Catholics and Protestants and one of the foundational issues leading to the Protestant Reformation. Traditions and the Pope's words or teachings are not on the same level as Scripture. He is not God. Scriptures are the words of God. He is not in the place of Christ or in the position to write new Scripture. When the Pope stands up and speaks ex cathedra, even in this day and age, it is if they say he is speaking Scripture. This is crazy. That man is speaking Scripture. No, he's not. The Bible never says that. He is not able to do that. And he is not to be put on that pedestal. The canon of Scripture has been closed by the apostles of Jesus Christ. Is he an apostle? He says, yes, there's been succession of apostleship. I'm sorry, but the only ones called apostles were those who were with Jesus. That is one of the criteria for being an apostle. All 12 of them were with Jesus. Were you with Jesus? No. Then how in the world are you calling yourself an apostle? And how in the world do you think you are able to write scripture? And we should believe you when the Bible says opposite. The Protestant Reformation is the word, the word Protestant means protest to protest the church, the Catholic church. And that's exactly what has been happening for hundreds of years. The Protestant movement of believers, this is the camp that we are in. This is why we're not worshiping in a Catholic way. It is because we are protesting the church even today. What are we protesting? Their teachings, the way they do church. We choose to do church according to the words of Christ and the apostles, not according to the authority of the Pope and the priests. Something just happened with the Pope just a couple weeks ago, which once again, Martin Luther would have been so angry about and would have stood up and said, this is wrong. And it's happening right now in 2020. New York Times just posted an article titled, In Shift for Church, Pope Francis voices support for same-sex civil unions. This is October 21st, 2020, just a couple weeks ago. From Rome, Pope Francis expressed support for the same-sex civil unions in remarks revealed in a documentary film that premiered on Wednesday. Significant break from his predecessors that staked out new ground for the church in its recognition of gay people. The remarks coming from the leader of the Roman Catholic Church had the potential to shift debates about the legal status of same-sex couples in nations around the globe, and unsettled bishops worried that the unions threatened what the church considered traditional marriage between one man and one woman. I quote, he says, What we have to create is a civil union law the way they are legally covered, Francis said in the documentary, which debuted in the Roman Film Festival, reiterating his view that gay people are children of God. I stood up for that, he said. I'm trying to figure out how the Pope is completely disregarding the scriptures once again. Martin Luther would no doubt be calling him out on this. Pope, how do you even say something like that? Now, I've had many gay friends over the years, those who struggle with homosexuality, and I even have Christian friends who choose to submit themselves to Christ 
and suppress the homosexual desires within them to walk in obedience to Christ and not in a homosexual lifestyle. Will those desires ever go away? Probably not. Just like my lustful desires or prideful desires or whatever um, desires you have within you, sinful ones, they will probably never go away. We are tempted by them often. It doesn't make one person less than the other. No, we all struggle with sin and it manifests in different ways. But we are not to then go on saying, hey, go and live however you feel. Go ahead, live however you desire. I'm sorry. You desire to kill somebody or murder them. God would say, I'm sorry, you're wrong. You can't feel that way. Or you can feel that way, but you can't carry out that feeling, I should say. You are to submit your feelings and desires, what you feel inside, to Almighty God regarding adultery, lying, stealing, you name it, gossip. The Bible is very clear that we are not to live out these feelings. It's clear? Then why is the Pope doing this? He's disregarding the Word of God just like they've been doing for hundreds of years. He's going along with the culture. What scripture says that? Are you ready? You know I would bring up the scripture. You know I'm not going to just say these things without bringing up the text. Romans chapter 1 is very clear. Romans 1, Romans 1 verse 24, it says, So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Verse 25, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against their natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Romans chapter 1, this is the Apostle Paul writing this, who had received these teachings from the Lord Jesus Christ and the rest of the Apostles. And he's writing this down very, very clearly. He says, they choose to worship trees and the creation, the moon, the stars, and the sun, instead of worshiping Almighty God. And God gives them over. And what does He give them over to? Their flesh takes over, and they have sexual relations with those of the same sex. It's even more clear. Jude chapter 1 verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Sodom and Gomorrah indulged in sexual immorality. You go back to that context. What was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah? The men of the city showed up to a man's house by the name of Lot. A couple angels showed up and they... They started banging on the door of the house to let those angelic men come out so we can have sex with them. Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says God destroyed that city for that. The New Testament writer Jude turns around and quotes this and says, This is crazy. This was indulging in sexual immorality and it was unnatural desire. 
First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine, the apostle Paul again gets very clear. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor adulterers, uh, idolaters, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor rilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The New Testament is so clear about this, and the Old Testament is even more clear about it, that God, when he was king, when he was president, it was not okay in his society to live in this way. Now, that does not mean that we uh, treat people who are working through homosexuality differently. That is terrible. We are to love our neighbor as ourself. We're to love them and serve them. And again, I have friends who struggle with these things, and that's okay. That's okay to struggle with these things, to have those those struggles in your heart or mind. But we are not to be condoning and destroying traditional marriage the way God has created it between one man and one woman to accommodate the world's desires. No, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus has said. And so the Pope is standing up and accommodating so that he can gain favor with the world. And the Apostle Paul would say, I'm sorry, I'm not with you. You're on your own. And Martin Luther would do the same today. We stand with the Word of God and the Bible. We do not stand with the traditions of men or the wisdom of the world. I'm sorry. If you want to hear more about what the Bible has to say about homosexuality and marriage, look up a sermon I did called Born This Way. I did this one a little while ago. You can find it on YouTube. Or um, a couple sermons called Marriage God's Way. Marriage God's Way. Those are um, sermon series that I really spent time breaking down all these arguments and um, really carefully and gently trying to present God's truth without being um, overly offensive or trying to harm people and just letting God's word speak for itself. It's very important, once again, that we adhere and hold to God's word. Um, These are issues that are happening right now today. That's the only reason I'm talking about it. That's what the Pope said right now, today in this society. And so I'm bringing you back to God's word. The Catholic leadership has been teaching their own doctrine made by themselves for thousands of years, and Martin Luther stood against it and protested. And that is why we are Bible-believing Christians today. It is rare to find people with Bibles in a Catholic church. Did you know that? It's rare to find people in a Catholic church service holding one of these babies, um, which they call Mass. And... As a result, no one knows their Bible. They just listen to whatever the priest says and uh, whatever he is saying, whatever he is doing, that's what we're following. These are the made up teachings of men, not the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who are we to follow? The teachings of men or the teachings of Christ? I choose to stand with the Lord Jesus. I choose to stand with the Bible word for word with no compromise. And people get upset about that at Legacy. That's okay. Um, A lot of people were upset about the things that Jesus said and what the apostles did back in that day. And um, it doesn't mean we're going to change what we're doing. We're going to keep doing that exact thing. There are plenty of churches in the area who will feed you what you want to hear instead of what you need to hear. And that's why God brought us here to Los Angeles is because I do believe that we need the truth of God's word very clearly, just crystal clear outlined and shown and let God do his work in this city, even in a city that would hate the things that I'm saying. It's okay. We're standing with Christ. I remember going to a Catholic mass with one of my buddies when I was young. Um, 
I was, uh, there were only two people in the whole place with a Bible, me and the priest. And I remember a buddy thought I was crazy because I brought my Bible to, to mass. He's like, what are you doing with that? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, we bring our Bible to church every single week. I didn't know what else to do. I thought that's what you do here. And uh, then I remember it came time for communion. And he told me, you can't take communion. I'm like, what? I'm a Christian, man. I love the Lord Jesus. I got a Bible here. What do you mean I can't take communion? You can't take communion. You haven't gone through the first communion, you know, classes and steps and all this. I'm like, what? He's like, so when you walk up to the priest and he's about to hand you communion, you got to go like this. I'm like, what? And so everybody lines up and we start walking up to the priest and everybody's got their hand out like this. And I walk up and I forget what I'm supposed to do, you know, because he like told me you're supposed to. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like, okay, okay. Uh, and I just walked away because I didn't know what to do. I missed the ritual. And, uh, and we stood up and sat down and stood up and sat down a couple more times and he prayed and then we were on our way. And um, I really do. I love my friend. I'm thankful for him. And I was thankful for the experience uh, being in the Catholic Church. But um, again, no one treated me mean. None of that even happened. It was a very welcoming place. I just was shocked at how um, gently these things are put into place and no one has an issue with any of them. And I was just like, wow, here we are. We're just cruising. And no one really cares what they're being taught or what they're being told. No one is actually looking at it for themselves. You could literally say anything. Say, the Bible says this. They were doing it back in that day, in Martin Luther's day, and the masses were receiving it. No one was challenging it. Martin Luther challenged the very foundational teachings of the Catholic Church, and it started a revolt and protest that has lasted even until this day. Once again, that's why we call ourselves Protestant Christians. One of the greatest missions that Luther accomplished was translating the New Testament Bible into German in less than 10 weeks. Less than 10 weeks. What have you done in the last 10 weeks? He translated the Bible for the common man so that they could have it. The common person didn't have the Bible and didn't understand it. They would listen in different languages. You show up to a church and they speak a different language and you don't even know what he's saying. And they're like, okay, time to pay your money and we're going to give you, you know, your little certificate so you can get to heaven. This is crazy. They could preach whatever they want because they couldn't hear in their language. So what Martin Luther says, forget this. The church isn't listening to me. I am going to put this in your language, the common man's language, so that they can read it for themselves. And guess what happened? The printing press was on the scene at that time. It was a brand new invention that had come on the scene. And um, we're going to show a picture of the printing press that I just got to see in person in, in Washington, D.C. Super cool. This, is, uh, this happened in 1440 um, when it was invented, but uh, it was in effect right around the time when Martin Luther was doing this. And this is the Johannes Gutenberg uh, printing press, uh, which started the printing revolution. A single Renaissance printing press could print upwards of 3,600 pages per day. Um, compared to 40 by hand printing and a few by hand copying. Um, this is what started a revolution in that day and age because the printing press had just come on the scene. Then um, 
Martin Luther writes the 95 Theses, the 95 problems he has with the church. They print that. Then he translates the Bible into the common man's language. Then they print that and all people start to have this in their own hands and they can understand the Bible for themselves for the very first time. And guess what that starts? A revolution, a protest against the false counterfeit church. Amazing. Luther also produced hymns that influenced the development of singing in Protestant churches. The reason we sing the way that we do in this day and age is because of him helping produce that. Yes, um, Martin Luther was radical. He brought songs into the church. And uh, maybe somebody got out there with the lute, you know, and started playing, you know, a couple hits there on Sunday morning, uh, which was different from the Catholic service, of course. His marriage to Katharina von Bora uh, was also revolutionary. You want to know why? She was a former nun. He went into the nun house and snaked one of the nuns and took her off and got married with her. Priests aren't allowed to get married. He's like, forget this. Where does it say that in the Bible? It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't say it anywhere. Yet all of these men have been trying to stay celibate. And what does that produce? All kinds of weird sexual stuff going on in the Catholic Church. What do you expect? It doesn't say that in the Bible. So he goes to the nun house, basically to spit in the Catholic Church face and say, forget this, I'm marrying one of the nuns. And they go and get married. And of course, this helps produce more uh, Protestant marriages amongst the clergy, amongst pastors and shepherds. The Catholic Church killed anyone and everyone who tried to stand against them in their teachings. To put into context, if I was preaching this sermon 500 years ago, I would be wanted. They'd have a wanted poster with my head on it. Wanted dead by the church for preaching against it. Wow, for preaching exactly just what God's word says. Why? 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 For just preaching what God has said. Why is that so offensive that I would have to be killed for that? This is crazy. I want to close today with equipping you with something that will help you to identify the counterfeit church, the counterfeit religion, the counterfeit uh, guru, you name it. The counterfeit cult uh, church trying to, trying to copy Christianity. Jehovah's Witnesses do this. Seventh-day Adventists do this to some degree. The um, Mormons do this to some degree. Not saying that there aren't Christians hiding in there that, that, may, that will come out eventually and will say, no, I know the Word of God says this. We see it happen all the time. But there are people who are very extreme um, in some of these categories, especially, of course, the Mormon and Jehovah's Witness. Um, Seventh-day Adventists, of course, a bit more mild, but there are very extreme teachings in there as well. And I want you to be able to identify counterfeits if you see them. Could there be, are there counterfeit Christian churches? Yes, even counterfeit Protestant Christian churches. People preaching prosperity gospel, pre people preaching that you have to be baptized to be saved, people preaching that Jesus isn't God. There's all kinds of things going on. There's a church called Church of God that's a cult. There's a church called Church of Christ that is a cult. Uh, these are copies, counterfeits, of true Protestant Christianity. And so we're going to look at how to identify that very quickly as we close. I want to give you the five solas as we close. The, ref the reformers came up with this and settled on five doctrinal truths that would help us identify the counterfeit church very quickly. Um, these, these truths answered these questions. How is a person saved? 
Very simple. Where does religious authority lie? What is the church? And what is the essence of Christian living? In the answers to these questions, Protestant reformers develop what we known as, again, the five solas. Sola, this word, simply in the Latin, it means alone. Sola means alone. Five alones. And you'll hear it in these solas. These five essential points of biblical doctrine clearly separate Protestantism from Roman Catholicism. And I want you to know them. So if it ever happens again, legacy, you can identify a counterfeit church quickly because you know the church well. My heart's desire is when I'm an old man and I step away from preaching is that I have imparted the truth of God's word to you so that you can teach it to your families. You can walk with God on your own because you know his word by yourself. Very important. Five solas. Number one, sola scriptura, scripture alone. Sola scriptura, scripture alone. The Bible alone is our highest authority. The reformers stood upon the word of God. And Luther said again before his opponents, unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the Pope and the councils. For they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recount anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. As believers, we stand with the reformers upon God's word, not upon the tradition or the words of man or the Pope. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man may be complete and equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed because we rightly divide the word of truth. Sola number two is sole fide, faith alone. We saw scripture alone. Now faith alone. We are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ, not by works or any deeds or anything like that. That's great. You want to help the old lady across the street, but that doesn't get you to heaven. We don't help the old lady across the street to get to heaven. We help the old lady across the street because God has given us heaven. And I want to live for him. And I want to shine brightly. He's blessed me with heaven and salvation in him because I've simply believed on him. That motivates me to love and serve everyone. Love my neighbor. Romans 4.4 4 says, Now the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as a due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Galatians 2.16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It's not how many Hail Marys, not how many classes you take, it's not how many times you go to church, it's not if you go to confessional, it's not all of those things will get you to heaven. It's not if you pay enough money, indulgences, then you get your salvation certificate. No, it is by faith alone. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, Ephesians 2.8, let this one ring in your ears. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. 
It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Sole number three, sole gratia. This is grace alone. We are saved by the grace of God alone. God's grace is everything for the Christian. By grace alone, God chose his people before creation. By grace alone, Christ chose to die for his people. By grace alone, God causes his people to be born again so that they are new creations. And decisively, God's grace transforms us into holy people. It is all God's grace. Our deeds, our deeds earned us death. Our works followed Satan. We were dead in our sins. Mary can't save you. The saints can't save you. The law could not save you. But God, but God gives more grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. What does grace mean? Undeserved favor. Here's a good acronym for grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ the Lord Jesus' expense. Jesus paid it all. Everything. You don't need to walk up to the cross with five bucks. Lord, I went to confession today. Let me into heaven. No, no, no. You can't pay me anything. I paid it all. It's called grace and I give it to you. Why? Because I love you. But God demonstrated his own love for us. Romans 5, 8, that while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He demonstrated his love by showing us grace. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's Romans chapter 3, verse 23 to 25. We always hear verse 23. We don't get to hear the rest. It's so good. Romans 11, 5 and 6, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace But if it is by grace, it is no longer a basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. How do you miss these texts? 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. Sole gratia, grace alone. Number four, sole Christus. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone is our Lord, Savior, and King. If anyone is saved, it is on the basis of Christ alone, Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else. God gives no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Only the Lord Jesus. Muhammad will not save you. Buddha will not save you. Mary will not save you. The Pope will not save you. Your parents can't save you. The president can't save you. Yoga poses will not save you. This truth separates Christianity from all falsehood. Sinners are saved in Christ alone. Alone. He stands apart. Jesus alone, his cross alone, to his glory alone. John 14, 6, Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God the Father except through me. No one gets to God except through me. 
C.S. Lewis said Jesus is either a liar and a lunatic or he's actually telling the truth. You can't say those type of things. You can't tell every other religion in the world you can't get to God unless you go through me. He's either a liar and crazy or he's really telling the truth. You decide. Number five, soli deo gloria. To the glory of God alone. To the glory of God alone. We live for the glory of our God alone. Tigers exist, butterflies exist, mountains exist, forests exist, music exists, humans exist, the solas exist, everything exists for the glory of God. All rivers lead to this ocean. All creatures will bow and pay homage to their king. The entire earth, the entire universe, the sun, the moon, and the stars bring glory to God alone. No one else gets the glory. And if anyone else tries to steal the glory, just look what happened to Lucifer. He was cast away from God for all of eternity for trying to take the glory of God. Ephesians 1 verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Romans 11.33, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Or who was given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Pastor Josh, why do you keep dumping all this scripture on us? (laughs) I'm kind of exhausted mentally. You've thrown so much scripture at us. Do you get the point? These are the essential teachings and doctrines of Christ, and we are to guard them with the Reformation and guarding God's word still needs to be happening today. We have so many churches who don't teach the Bible so many new age churches, so many counterfeits, and so many people are being deceived and taken advantage of, abused and ripped off because they don't know this. 2 Timothy 4.3 For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. What is the, I don't like doctrine. What does the word doctrine mean? It just means teaching. I don't like teachings, really. Sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That is happening in America today. We have a smorgasbord of preachers and pastors, and people just want their ears scratched like a dog. Scratch that ear. You see the dog get his ear scratched, his leg starts going wild, you know? That's what people in the church want. Just, just tell me what I want to hear. Tell me the good stuff. Stuff me full of candy and chocolate and, and, and cake and ice cream. And then you have a stomach ache afterwards, huh? We need to eat the good stuff. We need the right stuff. We need a healthy meal. We need God's word. Family, to close with a quote... I love this one, but it's very important because it's actually happening in the church today. Paul Washer said, anything not built on the word of God is a house of cards and it will fall. How easy is it to knock down a house of cards? You just take one little card out and the whole thing just falls down. 
we must build our lives upon this. What else are we to build it upon? What else is true? What else has stood the test of time? What else is divine on the earth? Family, there are all kinds of things trying to creep into the church today. And I want to encourage you every time someone challenges the Christian to do this or that. People challenge me, Pastor, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? I always ask them, Scripture and verse, please. Scripture and verse, please. Where does it say that in the text? So you want the church to start doing all of that when we're clearly instructed to do the opposite. It doesn't matter if it sounds cool or it's what the rest of the world is doing. I'm sorry, that's not what we're called to do. And that's not what I'm called to do. Every time someone challenges you to do this or that, we need to learn to ask them, can you give me scripture and verse, please? Can you show me Jesus and the apostles teaching this? We don't need to be a jerk or mean about it. Please don't do that. We need to be kind and patient and willing to listen and learn and grow. Understand what your friend or what your neighbor or your family member is trying to say to you. Learn and understand and then go back to the scriptures. What is your source of truth? We used to go on the university campuses and I talk with young people and we would debate. Uh, It was fun. We had a lot of fun, but we would always come back to this single question. Well, my professor says this and I said, what's your, what is his source of truth? Where is it coming from? Why should I trust him? What makes him the authority on the issue? Why does he have the corner block on all truth in the universe? I want to know what the foundation of truth is. Who sets morality for the universe? Who has told us how society is supposed to be? Who has told us how we are created and what is happening in the world? The best, most truthful, accurate foundation that I have found is the word of God. It continues to stand the test of time. And so I'm going to revert back to that over and over and over again. I don't care how big the organization or church is. We have to go back to God's word. You should be encouraged. There are millions of believers on the earth anchoring in God's word. Even right now, when so many are getting caught up in this political race, so many are getting caught up in this, these uh, racial issues, these divides, They are going all over the place, left and right and up and down. And why aren't we just going back to this? What has God's word said? Human wisdom is not helpful many times. We need God's wisdom. I love what the apostle Paul said, and I will close in this. 1 Corinthians 2. He says, Church, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words or impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on only the power of the Holy Spirit. And I did this so you would not trust in human wisdom, but the power of God. Then he says this, verse 6, Yet when I am among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom 
we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for the ultimate glory before the world began. His ultimate glory. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Family, the world doesn't get it. Their wisdom doesn't work. It hasn't been working for centuries. They're still hurting and hating each other. And I thought we were on the brink of like, you know, world peace and love LA and everybody kumbaya here as everybody was being so loving there for a couple of years. And look at this explosion just go off. Everybody just shows their true colors and it is absolutely disgraceful to the human race. We are called to go back to the truth. Anchor in God's word. What has God said? Um, that's what I do over and over. Um, no matter who I'm debating with, I just want to know what's your foundation of truth, and I want to know where does it say it in here? Because this is my foundation of truth, and I'll prove to you why it's true. Family, please handle this every single day of your life. Read your Bible and pray every single day. And when you know the truth, when you know the real thing, you'll be able to identify counterfeit anytime it comes along all the days of your life. May God give us grace as we do this. Let's pray. Father, we, we need your wisdom. Humans cannot figure stuff out. Lord, we have messed so much stuff up. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves before you and before you alone, and we ask that you would work in our hearts. Lord, give us clarity. Help us to see through the fog of the world. Lord, as I call the church back to your word, I pray you to do a supernatural work in each of us that we would start asking these questions. Where does the Bible say that? Where does Christ stand in this issue? Lord, that we would be fervent in understanding what you have said, not in what the world has said, not what these politicians have said, not what these leaders of religious movements have said. What have you said? And we would be passionate about it. Not what Satan has said in the Garden of Eden, but what has God said? Lord, that we would get back to this and that we would walk in these ways. In our marriages, in our families, in our workplace, in our city, in our nation, in our world. Oh God, give us grace, we pray. Guide us in truth. We pray for a new reformation, Lord. We pray for a new work, a new revival in your church, calling everyone back to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Family, love you so much. Uh, looking forward to seeing everybody together this next Sunday. Thanks for doing some church history Bible study with me. We got to go back in time, and I hope it was informative and helpful for you. We don't do this every Sunday. Um, obviously, but um, we will be back in God's Word in uh, Matthew chapter 5 next week. I want to encourage you once again. The church is open. It's time to show up and worship, and it's time to show up and be together. Let's really work to do this together. I'm really looking forward to it and what God will do. The campus is beautiful. Really looking forward to seeing you next week. May the Lord bless you and keep you this week, during this election week, during this Reformation week. I pray that the Lord would give you grace with people and you would stand firm in the truth. But man, would you be loving to your neighbor at the same time? Lord, give us grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.